Hey, welcome to this episode of Vibe Check. On this special episode on the African Pre-C podcast, we speak to five players in the Egyptian ecosystem who share their views on what's happening in the ecosystem and what is most relevant for founders in the land of the Nile. These conversations were had on the ground in Cairo when the African Pre-Seed podcast traveled to Egypt. On this episode, we hear from Karima Al-Hakim, Country Director Egypt, Plug and Play Tech Center, Diego Garcia, Africa Ventures, Plug and Play Tech Center, Mahmoud Abua, Founder, Bagger, Noel Amadine, Founder, Blueworks, and Mohamed Al-Hadne, Senior Investment Associate at Arzan Venture Capital. My name is Karim Al-Hakim. I'm the country director of Plug and Play in Egypt. So about Plug and Play, we were talking before we started recording. It's so intriguing is collaboration is at the heart of what you do in your model. You work very closely with the Egyptian government and finding ways to marry technology with startups and also maybe other economic aims that can provide benefits to the population at large. From a founder's perspective, why is collaboration important based on the lessons you've learned working with the governments? I know this is a first time investment with a, f- a foreign country per se, working with a foreign investor and also the networking effect of that. Why are these things important if you're a founder? And I'd love to know just a bit about the collaboration. Of course. And just, just for background, Plug and Play is one of the, one of the most active early stage VCs globally. We're also the largest open innovation platform, which is very relevant to, to note that, that this is what we aim to avail anywhere we go. By, by open innovation, it might be a big word, might be a buzzword these days. But what we mean is that if we are present in, in place, in one place, we can allow the innovators and the founders and the investors from this place to reach and innovate in another place where we have access to that need or the solutions that are not there. So this is what the by open innovation. And that's why I really meant to speak about what plug and play is initially. In Egypt, we are here in partnership with the Egyptian government, more specifically the Ministry of Communication and Information Technology. We are running an enablement program where we support Egyptian founders on a zero equity basis. So a program free of charge and zero equity, availing world-class mentorship, but also access to capital and mm. access to corporate introductions. By doing that, we're driving in investors to look into Egypt in a different way. Some investors that we have been in co-investing with historically never looked at emerging markets the same way until we brought to their attention our new portfolio companies or our new presence and access there. We also collaborate directly with the Egyptian government to understand what the startups need to be backed and venture backed by global investors. So we, we, we work closely with the government to, 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 to bring them some of our, let's say, playbook tools that we give to hub managers, for example. One other thing that we do is connect our startups, the ones that we enable in Egypt and abroad with a public service innovation opportunities within the Egyptian government, thus creating market opportunities for founders, be it in our Africa portfolio or global portfolio and Egypt portfolio to directly go for RFPs with the Egyptian government and understand how to catalyze better infrastructure through technology. For the founders itself, when working with someone like Plug and Play, what should be top of mind for them when it comes to their startup, especially those working within the Egyptian market? And then what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing your founders 
dealing with? I know you you just opened your new cohort. What are you seeing happening on the ground that they should be aware of? And I guess that's also relevant for investors. So for Egyptian founders who heard of Plug and Play or collaborated with us before, they probably know that we're here as like super connectors. So we open doors, we follow up on these open doors, but we also hope to create a community that has synergies, whether you are an early stage MVP, very barely any traction or scale up that, that wishes to consolidate or even acquire some of the early stage companies. So we are, we are in a super connector mode, which also allows us to open these connections for Egyptian founders to find and seek new businesses outside the geography. And this comes at a very crucial time when Egypt is undergoing, let's say, a currency crisis where our foreign currency FX, let's say, is, is, is very fluctuating with our local currency, thus very difficult for Egyptian founders to raise international funds while only having one source of revenue in the local currency. So if this is going to be the current challenge that Egyptian founders that solely operate in Egypt will face for the next, let's say, year or maybe year and a half, hopefully less, this is where we can also work with them to to, to find, let's say, a, a hack against, against this and start looking at new revenue sources, maybe scaling their technology abroad if they're SaaS model than even better and uh, yeah so hmm. this is kind of what we can support on the ground today and also coming across when you're dealing with challenges market liquidity difficulties to put it that don't put all your eggs in one basket exactly and just it's worth noting that Aside from us being an enabler and a partner to the Egyptian government, we are a VC as well. Mm. So we have been investing in Egypt way before we even open shop here or we open like a formal country office. We've been investing maybe since 2017. But since we opened, we doubled down on the pace of our investment on the, let's say, the involvement we have with our portfolio. So we're much more competent and understanding the dynamic being on the ground than off the ground or or not not on the continent at all, for example. My name is Diego. I'm an investor at Plug and Play. So essentially, I lead our investments across Africa. So I focus on sourcing, diligencing, executing transactions and managing the portfolio. I'm based in Cairo prior to that in Morocco and the UAE, but take a Pan-African view. So I work pretty much across the whole continent. Honing in on Egypt, you've literally to a degree, just opened up your footprint here and you have a unique relationship with uh, the Egyptian government within the startup arena. What is the meta environment that you're finding Egyptian founders are dealing with, especially at the pre-seed and seed level, i.e. what are the challenges they're facing, especially when you speak to your colleagues and, and founders here in the ecosystem? I think one of the biggest challenges we've seen lately is the currency devaluation. So we see the shift in the value of the Egyptian pound has definitely been top of mind for founders and it's been top of mind for funds right so i think this has affected founders in many ways one of them is basically what share of the revenue if it's a company that's launching in egypt what share of the revenue is projected to be in egypt versus other markets and that's one of the things that we keep top of mind is to understand how fast can a company expand internationally in the context of understanding how much share 
of it is going to be exposed to a volatile currency. And obviously this is something that it's top of mind. And I think one other thing that has been, I mean, shaped by the current climate has been path to profitability. Mm. I think that that's probably the answer everyone's giving you is talking about path to profitability, cash in hand, managing the burn, reducing unnecessary expenses, bootstrapping as much as possible, and sort of overall being more conservative in the projections. Mm. I think that that's something that has been top of mind as well. And also understanding the path to exit. Mm. So it's hard to have an idea of what the exit might look like at pre-seed, but it's an important consideration given we've seen some, let's say, high-profile, I don't want to say disasters, but high-profile unfortunate events like the swivel IPO and how it's fared in terms of the stock or what has happened with Jumia. So perhaps considering whether, you know, we're already thinking we're going to ride this to an IPO in Nasdaq or what are other more realistic exit scenario. Talk a little bit more about M&A, talk about regional expansion, potential exit to local corporates or regional players. And that's something that has been top of mind for us. And, the, and for the founders, in a way, diversification and thinking about also revenue diversification. Yes, revenue diversification, having, if you are a B2B business, definitely, what, how have sales cycles changed? Do, are you selling to corporates that are in other markets? Can you expand on the back of your customers rapidly to make sure you bring in additional currencies? You diversify your risk, you diversify your revenue sources. It's not all concentrated on this one massive contract in this one currency. So I think we're all seeing this and I think it's an important consideration. Uh, what advice do you give to founders a, in terms of managing the mental burden of dealing with such a volatile environment? Because mental health may be a subject that perhaps isn't addressed as much because yeah, people move so much at speed. And then second, the next two to three years, how do you see the market going from a pre-seed and seed valuations perspective for founders? What, what should founders be expecting? It isn't linked to the meta environment globally. What, what are you hoping to see, let's say from a good scenario and a bad scenario? So I'll start with one, mental health, yeah. and yeah. then the scenario planning. Mental health, 100% super important topic. It's important to take care of yourself as a founder. You're already subject to so much stress, obviously, in terms of delivering to the shareholders, building a company because you have people relying on yourself, yes. not just clients, but employees. I think uh, founders are very harsh on themselves. It's important, of course, to be disciplined, yes. but it's ultimately in everyone's best interest for the founders to not go through a mental breakdown because the company could eventually not make it out of it. So yes. take care. Like, I think obviously seeing professionals is important talking to other founders to vent out, but also find ways of disconnecting. So obviously the company is a priority, but you also have to have your own personal life. So striking a good balance and make sure you find ways to disconnect outside of work mm -hmm. or that if you're working, you're staying healthy by eating clean, walking, getting some sun and not just kind of working with the blinds closed and three computer screens kind of thing. There is life outside There's of the startup existence. It doesn't feel like that sometimes. And then I guess lastly, next two or three years, maybe from a good scenario, bad scenario, what your founders be thinking about? Yeah, I think there's, and I, I'm going to throw this back to you very quickly before I answer. Yes. Are we talking about valuations? Like how are we seeing the valuations evolve or how, or just like the entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship, yeah. So I think entrepreneurship has gotten a lot. I, I don't want to say it's been glorified, but I think over the 
past two years because we were all enjoying the bull market it was relatively i don't want to say it was easy but it was easier than before and it it was easier than today to raise money so i think a lot of people were raising money that they didn't need to start companies that weren't really products were more features so i think one of the important things that we're going to see is like a lot more intentionality i think it's important to be very intentional about how much you fundraise i think it's important to be very thorough about how much you raise at what valuation, why, and who are the comparables. So I think on a good scenario, what I'm hopeful we will see is we're going to see a strong return of pre-seed and seed investors. Obviously, that's always the most active part of the pipeline because it's also where there's the highest nice. failure rate. So I think hopefully we'll see more LPs pushing capital to GPs, which means more commitments will be made, more diverse GPs with familiarity in these markets, more regional expansion, and not just this narrow-minded idea of, okay, we want to be a unicorn IPOing in NASDAQ, but rather getting creative. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to a few South African funds that have mentioned this, like, you know, I'm not interested in unicorns. I want 300 million exits and I want all my portfolio companies to exit. So I think that that's a mentality that's going to change across investors. And also on perhaps on the more negative side, what I think might happen mm -hmm. is we're going to see down rounds. We're going to see, I think the good companies are still going to continue to race, but I think the, the playing field is going to be much tougher. So obviously lower valuations, we're seeing a decrease in valuations at the early stages, which means giving up more equity. It's not going to be so easy to raise bridge rounds. So I think we're going to see increased failure rates. I think we're going to see less people, unfortunately, considering entrepreneurship because it's not going to be so glamorous. Mm. So I think it's going to be hard. And I hope I'm wrong, but I think it might become hard to find first time entrepreneurs willing to quit a cozy job to start something new. My name is Mahmoud Sabour. I'm currently the uh, head of operations at Sales Cubicle, which is an independent sales organization, and the uh, CMO at another startup, which is Bagger, which is the shipping platform. What's the the market problem that Bagger, for instance, is trying to solve? Okay, so for Bagger, basically the uh, e-com businesses, like the small and medium businesses, one of the main challenges they face is how to deliver quality shipping for their products. Like they don't have money to get like big shipping companies to work with them. So what we do is we, faci we facilitate this process by getting like bulk orders for those shipping companies. So we get the high quality shipping services for the small businesses. Like they don't have to deal with the small time shipping companies. They uh, deal with bigger companies, but at a very low cost because uh, we do bulk orders with those companies. Okay, almost acting as a, a platform provider. Yeah, exactly. a facilitator, like a, we shipment a, a aggregator and facilitator uh. for those businesses. And this is where we first started. But right now what we're doing is uh, we're trying to turn it into a business solution, you know, like adding an order management system, cash collection, uh, inventory management, and what's on. Are those generally challenges that your core customers find when dealing with that market that, that, that the small businesses don't have that infrastructure to solve that. Definitely. Like when we first started, we only started with the shipping option, like, yeah. like just a comparison between different shipping companies. And from the feedback we got, we started adding new features. Like all the features we have right now is from stuff they added or stuff they asked for that needs to be added on the platform itself. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's something they, they face mm -hmm. and we develop on our end to help make their lives easier. Yeah. Okay. 
the fact that you work in two different startups is that helpful do you have enough time to, uh, to do it all yeah i mean i think like <laughs> it, as long as the there is no working hours you know like uh, there is no like nine hour shift or something definitely manage it you know? okay. it's just meetings or trying to set up something here and something there like sometimes i do other stuff next to those <laughs> two businesses i know it's not easy but yeah okay. yeah and just as a founder operating primarily in egypt what are your primary challenges that you're facing at the moment in the last maybe last few months what's top of mind of you that you're trying to think about and and, and mitigate definitely the regulations you know okay. like Access to fund is difficult, but it's not the number one mm. issue we're facing because like uh, like a lot of uh, international and big organizations take interest in Egypt and Egyptian startups. Yes. But I think what's really uh, one of the main challenges is the how to operate in the market in the legal terms. You know, it's very uh, bureaucratic. It's not easy. It's mm. not very flexible. Yeah, I think this is the number one issue we're facing. I think a lot of founders have some experience. Oh, <laughs> Everyone <laughs> faces this right here. Sure. 100%. My name is Noor Ahmadin. I'm co-founder and CEO of Blueworks. We're a B2B SaaS company. Essentially, we're a mobile application to help you manage your blue-collar workforce. So uh, you can say it's the intersection where HR tech meets operations. What's the what's the problem that you're trying to solve that that you kind of discovered, and also the blue collar workforce in particular? Like, what's what's the the pain point that your target customers are dealing? If you want to look at the problem, is that the overwhelming majority of companies in Egypt and around the region, um, right, sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, and even Middle East too, emerging markets, is companies, irrespective of sector size, tenure, tech adoption, HR maturity. They face endemic and systemic issues with when it comes to managing their blue collar workforce. We have a lot of white collar mm. HR tech solutions. I'm sure you guys probably use some and you've come across yes. in your career, mm. but blue collar tend to be the forgotten demographic, even though they're the overwhelming majority, they're really, they're the most untouched, mm -hmm. um, so to speak. And so massively underserved. So the status quo when it comes to managing blue collar workforce, the status quo today is dominated by manual processes, yes. disjointed systems, sure. ineffective network effects that ultimately slow down decisions mm. and result in three really glaring problems for the business. And that's high labor costs, loss of productivity and high employee turnover. Mm. So we're really focused on uh, the blue collar segment. And that's our one of our major competitive edges. Mm. With time is where you can really your B2B and then you become B2B2C. Where once you've captured then the employee, where can you start to support them through value added services like salary advance? There's a fintech component, micro insurance, etc. Is that element born out to a degree and pardon the ignorant question, Egypt's very cash based. It's very different from from for example in South Africa where I think we deal with a more white collar market, card, cash, app, very popular, but uh, in low market segments, cash is still important. Was that an important part of your thinking just because it's part of how the economic structure is? People prefer to deal in cash, uh, I guess. And is that also related to some of the costs that you're dealing with, trying to manage that as an employer with cash? I think we're in a region that's going to see the biggest delta, the largest delta or change in digital payments over the next right few years. Okay. But I think it's most exciting for us in African Middle East. Egypt is no different. I think we've been historically kind of stuck in the stone age when it comes to payments. To your point, it, 
The cash component, one of our core features and value propositions is payroll. Mm. But payroll disbursement, there's a lot of players that currently play in this space. It's quite saturated. And there's a lot of banks who will basically offer that service almost for free. Mm. But the banks here, the banking portals are really not sophisticated enough for a lot of API integrations. So you still have to, for when it comes to payroll for your company, even if it's 20 people or 2,000, you upload an Excel onto the banking portal and then it disperses to these individuals. So it's quite straightforward in terms of when you look at payroll disbursement in the country, there are some people coming to the space and innovating there. But again, you're at the whim of the government. Yeah. Um, so as fast as they are, only then can you innovate with that speed. But for us, is our value proposition is payroll calculation. Uh, payroll calculation is the hardest part when you talk to any business in food and beverage and retail. It's not the disbursement part. That takes their finance team just a few minutes, right? Uploading the Excel. It's unlike white collar, where you have a set salary, right? And maybe there are performance bonuses or deductions. You have blue collar is very formulaic, clock in, clock out, the actual days off based on your clocking in, clocking out, then they'll deduct from your actual salary, bonuses and deductions too. So blue collar is much more formulaic. So you need a lot more data to be able to spit out what the actual person's salary is going to be at the end of the month. And that's where there's a lot of missed opportunity and uh, misspent essentially revenue on employee salaries, whether overpaying and underpaying happens. Um, so it's really not equitable for the employee as well. That's kind of the major, one of the major Closing value the, propositions. Closing the efficiency gap to, to a degree, well, 100%. You come from corporate tech experience. I'll, I'll call it that. How did that experience working in tech, but at a large organization in Egypt, how has that been valuable as a founder now? Mm. Beyond networks, I know that you, I assume you know people, but just your working experience being worked in a large organization, has it been applicable within your own, within your own business? So, I mean, I started, um, I launched Uber here in Egypt. I was the first employee, saw a lot of different, I onboarded the first few hundred drivers from downstairs my house to then see Uber become the largest, one of the largest and fastest growing markets for Uber globally outside of India and China. I think to your question, what I learned from there was risk appetite, mm. strong, strong risk appetite. Uber would come in knocking through the front door, through the back door. Right, not even knock, just enter through the back door, scale, then ask for forgiveness. So that with comes part and parcel with that type of thinking. You need to have that kind of same thick skin when you're going into uncharted territory, such as a startup. I think also from a policy perspective as well, lobbying within the country, all the different multi-stakeholders, depending on what type of business you're running. But policy bardu is another, I think, component that I learned from corporate tech. I think it was also seeing that fast growth is you build the right foundation. In order to scale so quickly, you need to really create blueprint, uh, what do they call playbooks, no. essentially, to be able to launch in these markets. And so kind of starting the foundation right or, or, or one that's scalable is key. And I think that's one that's always in the back of my mind when I'm building. What challenge is the top of mind for you for the next maybe three or six months of operating here in Egypt? There's obvious it's not a challenge with the currency risk mm. in the country. Um, even though we're in a global recession, is one to just be mindful of. It's also challenge, I think, for us will be payment or collection from businesses, whether that's check, whether that's bank transfer, whether that's debit. That's definitely one we're, we're looking at. And then it will be expansion, an exciting kind of challenge, but opportunities expanding to outside of Egypt.
My name is Mohanad al Hartani. I work as a senior associate at uh, Artisan Venture Capital. Basically, we're an early stage venture capital fund investing in startups across uh, the MENA region, starting from pre seed stage until they reach Series B, with ticket sizes ranging from 250k to 4 million US dollars. And what verticals are those companies, broadly speaking? Broadly speaking, we have companies in SaaS, in fintech, in e-commerce, in transportation as well. So you're you're a native of Cairo. From a founder perspective at the moment, in the last three months, what if, what from your perspective as an investor are the biggest challenges or problems that founders have faced within this ecosystem? Within the recent month, uh, the currency devaluation has affected the founders big time so mm. far. So founders who usually doubled in revenues in terms of EGP, when you see, when you convert it to US dollar numbers, they actually didn't grow, mm. which affects their valuation and affects uh, everything uh, related to fundraising, especially uh, from foreign investors, because they only look at the US dollar numbers. That, that's a fact. Another thing that they are now facing challenges when it comes to uh, retaining talent and acquiring talents. So a lot of talent are going out from Egypt to GCC countries for better salaries and uh, to get to pay to be paid in another, another currency than EGP. Also, some startups from GCC and even mm. from the US are hiring the tech talents remotely. So talents would prefer to get paid in US dollar and be hired remotely than working uh, with an Egyptian startup. Mm. So those are the two main challenges that are facing facing the startups in Egypt now. From a from a market expansion point of view, if, if when you talk to the founders in your portfolio, where where do they think about expanding first, and why? Most of the founders, uh, not most, all of them are thinking of expansion. Of course, after the current yes. macroeconomic conditions, the first market they are thinking of is Saudi Arabia. Now it's very near to Egypt, same language, the culture difference is not that huge. Uh, also, the market there is booming. Mm. Government of Saudi Arabia is pumping in a lot of money to the market, so. When startups expand there, they are sure that they will get funding. Mm. That, that's for a fact. And at the same time, they have a big market of population of KSAs around 30 mm. million, as well as a lot of immigrants okay. as well. Okay. I mean, if you're talking to a founder, let's say they managed to raise funding in this very difficult environment, what one or two pieces of advice would you tell them once that funding lands? Uh, what should, what should, what's top of mind? What should they be thinking about? I think the first thing uh, this current environment is to think how to have a healthy unit economics, mm. avoid burning a lot of cash, to have a sustainable cash runway, because you never know when are you going to raise the next round. Maybe maybe it's, it's your last, so <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep you the know. money. You <laughs> have to use it uh, wisely. That will wrap this special episode of VibeCheck. Thanks for listening. If you're an Africa-focused founder or investor looking to learn more about Africa's tech ecosystem, check out africanpreseed.com for more great content like this. Otherwise, that's all for now. This has been VibeCheck. Take care.